everyone, and welcome to The Insatiable Appetite, a podcast for people who are in the serious business of food, making it, marketing it, selling it, serving it, and eating it too. I'm Melissa Abbott, VP of Hartman Retainer Services, and I'm joined by my colleague and consultant extraordinaire on retainer services, Danielle Kleiner-Cantor. We're here to share some key insights into how gendered marketing has taken a visible shift in the last couple of years. Hey, Danielle, it's great to sit down and talk to you today about how brands are shunning stereotypes and embracing neutrality when it comes to marketing based on gender. Hey, Melissa, I'm excited to talk about this topic with you. It's a really rich area to explore and one that is only going to continue to grow and evolve. Indeed. Well, Danielle, let's start out with some background and history on gendered marketing. So while gendered marketing can certainly be thought of well before the early 1980s, I often think of the success of something like Tab Diet Soda in that pink can and the more uh, empowered Luna Bar that came a bit later. But as marketers, we can't really rely on the polarity of segmenting by male or female as we're definitely in a cultural moment where gender it's being redefined. What do you think about that, Danielle? Yeah, um, absolutely. So consumers today are increasingly vocal about their evolving understanding of gender itself. And this is particularly among the younger generation. Uh, So younger consumers really describe their allegiance to brands that don't specifically align as masculine or feminine. And just as you said, we're in this cultural moment where consumers' understandings of gender are really shifting. It's not as binary as it was in the past of, you know, male or female. And the shift is really challenging the resonance of products specifically directed towards both men and women today. And while looking at nutritional needs or health and wellness approaches, there are some tangible distinctions between males and females. But when it comes to what branding and marketing actually resonates with consumers, uh, we're seeing that a gender neutral and occasion or benefit based approach suggests greater long term potential. Yes, and so occasion-based marketing is proving to be far more accurate in modern culture, and we've really seen an uptick in this in the last just couple of years. So, Danielle, as we unpack how genderless branding in food and beverage is likely to resonate more deeply over the long term, what might be an example of an overt gendered branding that seemed to to really tip the scales towards gender neutral these days? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Um, what comes to my mind is this phrase, pink it and shrink it, um, that has been used as an industry term over, over the last several years. That's really interesting. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so pink it and shrink it, it's a term used to describe how products for women are often just simply made smaller and pink. Uh, and this has become a pretty notorious pitfall in marketing products towards women. Uh, So in the food and beverage industry, alcohol is a category where you can see this at some of its most extreme expressions um, with things like lower calorie products um, like beer or vodka, um, thinking about Bethany Frankel's uh, skinny girl cocktails, uh, lower calorie. The logo is of a really thin woman in a top and skirt holding a cocktail glass. 
So, you know, as we were talking about, brands are certainly moving the needle towards, um, you know, more equity and feminism. But these kinds of products are still very much present today, you know, with that example of Skinny Girl. Uh, and and it, it's, it's just going to be very interesting to see how brands continue to evolve towards greater gender equity and female empowerment. Yeah, and it's fascinating to see how culture and as a result, food culture is shifting in this current moment. And most certainly, it's not a fad, but a trend with very long lasting impact. So thinking of food and beverage products that aim to meet unique nutritional needs of females, where are they falling short? Yeah, this is a good question because often brands are well-intentioned when making female-specific products. As we talked about earlier, nutritional needs can differ between males and females, but the history of female-focused branding, so getting into that idea of culture and what that means and how it influences how consumers think about products today, that history of female-focused branding is not actually grounded in women's real nutritional needs. Uh, it's grounded in what many today would say are outdated cultural stereotypes like women needing to be thin, you know, and that's where we get this lower calorie alcohol as an expression of that. So what that's led to is a lot of entrenched skepticism today towards gendered food and beverages. Uh, and consumers are highly attuned to products that can feel cliche or unnecessarily gendered. Proof, particularly scientific research of the product's necessity and efficacy on females, is really important for creating a female-specific product uh, or any gendered product that has the potential to resonate. Yeah, and so beyond being evidence-based, it appears there's really no generic roadmap for communication or formulation of a female-focused or a male-focused product. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to say, you know, if you do this, you're going to have the perfect product that's going to resonate with consumers. Uh, the acceptance of, of a gendered product is really rooted in an evaluation of several implicit and explicit factors that are highly context-specific. So again, it's hard to say that there's a roadmap for creating a successful product beyond making sure that it is evidence-based. But what I can speak to is how consumers will likely evaluate a female-focused or gendered product if they saw it online or at the store. So what it starts with is, at a broad level, uh, an evaluation um, of the category. So thinking of questions like, what do consumers expect out of this product category? How does this product compare to others in the category? Um, you know, and that important question, is a gendered orientation necessary in this category? And then you go down a tier and consumers will think about the brand. So questions around how does the consumer perceive the brand making the products? Does the brand have permission from the consumer to enter a gendered space? Uh, and then at, at the most um, detailed level, it's at the product level. So is a gender orientation necessary? Again, back to that critical question. Um, and then despite gender specificity, how do product attributes align with consumer perceptions and, and needs around quality and health 
in general, because really that's what it comes down to is, is how does this product resonate with consumer values and what this individual consumer is looking for when they're buying food and beverage. You know, this is really fascinating. And I, I love how you talked about the idea of the consumer permission um, regarding how the claims are being made, for example. And, you know, is a gender orientation necessary that it's really important to think about because how, you know, historically it's been thought of, of like segmenting males and females. And really now when we think about it more from an occasion-based perspective, it really gets down to those need states per occasion. And it it helps us really think about things in the present moment rather than the aspirations of what a specific type of consumer, whether it's male or female, uh, is thinking about. So it's this is just really fascinating. So the key here is that even with legitimate female-specific nutritional needs, for example, an occasion or ingredient-based approach without specifically marketing to females will be most resonant in the long term. Is is that something that that you would agree with? Absolutely. Yeah. I I think an important a couple important points is just because a product contains nutrients that, you know, one gender, oftentimes products are marketed to women. So I'll use women as an example. Oftentimes, just because a product contains nutrients that females need, right, doesn't always mean that males can't or shouldn't consume it. Um, additionally, I, I do feel that it's important to note that a person's sex does not always align with their gender. And that's something that, um, is particularly prevalent um, among younger generations and female focused or gender focused branding can alienate these otherwise potential consumers simply through implicit branding cues like color or more explicit cues like, you know, quote unquote woman on the label. So getting back to your point positioning a product by the occasion or benefit, such as a need for sustained energy, which every consumer has at some point, um, or highlighting certain ingredients such as magnesium without a gendered angle allows the product to appeal to a much wider range of consumers and reach everybody who has those needs that you're trying to help with. Yeah, and I I can't tell you how many times I've been uh, on consumer interviews uh, with with e, um, oftentimes it would be a male and he would say, you know, he would pick up something like a Luna bar and say, oh, I really like these, but I'm, a, I'm worried about what they might do to me. They're my girlfriend's uh, favorite snack and I eat them, but I'm worried about And it, There's nothing within that, you know, there has never historically been anything in the Luna bar or any of these other female uh, specific marketed products that would be uh, deleterious to a male's health. So it's, I mean, it's funny, but it's also like, you know, just the awareness to, to your point about both men, there's, you know, regardless of women's nutritional needs, it's for everybody. So it's becoming clear that culture is definitely moving away from traditional gender identities and it's challenging the resonance of gendered products. So consumers, they're looking for evidence to support the quality of their functional products. So Dan, Danielle, I really want to kind of, you're, you're my expert go-to on this. So you were telling me earlier that there are statistical differences between how females and males approach wellness, from how it's viewed holistically to ingredients added and avoided in their diet. But both groups are still engaged to some degree in similar preferences and behavior. 
I find that compelling and indicative of this cultural shift that we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. So there, there are differences, but when when we think about again, what is going to resonate with consumers at that product level, you know, when they're online or when they're at shelf, um, they they may not want to see a specific gendered orientation, even though their behaviors, you know, among women and men may be slightly different. Um, but when we do think about these differences, they can really act as inspiration for product development with needs of women or men in mind, uh, even if the product itself is not distinctly oriented around gender. Here, getting back to, you know, if you have needs around sustained energy, if you have needs around satiety, um, if, you know, women have slightly more and men have slightly more at different times, a product that speaks to that need is going to be um, desired by different consumers uh, at different times. So uh, another way of thinking about speaking to different needs without a gendered lens is through this lens of personalized nutrition. So we talk about this a lot at the Hartman Group, that every consumer is on their their own journey, they're they're doing their own research, they're seeing what works for them. Um, And I think a, a really good example of a brand that speaks to this idea of personalized nutrition is Care Of, and they're a vitamin brand uh, that has consumers actually take a questionnaire to create this customized pack of daily vitamins. So uh, whether that's collagen or something to help their microbiome, um, consumers are able to say, you know, I have these concerns and then the product is customized to whatever their needs are and they get this pack of vitamins. So of course, um, you know, I, I do want to mention that not every product can be at that highly customized level of having a questionnaire and creating a customized product. Um, but but what it does is really speaks to this idea of orienting a product around occasions or benefits to best resonate with consumers. I love that example of care of because it really does speak to the person itself. And we're also seeing this neutrality in health and beauty products as well, like deodorants. Um, there's Native and Schmitz, where the scents themselves are far less polarizing. You know, they're not like woods, you know, sports smell or, you know, flower smell. And then there's brands like Malin and Getz and Aesop. Um, these body care are uh, very gender neutral and beautiful brown packages and, you know, the font, everything kind of speaks to it's great for everyone. So it seems clear that food and beverage are next up for revision. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be really exciting and interesting to continue to watch uh, the food and beverage space as products continue to evolve, as consumers continue to evolve and learn more and discover, you know, what's what's right for them. Yeah, this has been really fascinating. And I want to thank you, Danielle. And I do look forward to catching up on the evolution of branding in terms of gender neutrality in the coming months, uh, within the next year or so. So to learn more about Hartman's occasion-based marketing approach, please don't hesitate to reach out on our website at hartman-group.com. So thank you, Danielle. And thank you to our listeners. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. Thoroughly interesting conversation as always. Uh, Looking forward to chatting next time. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.